Hello and welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out. The idea behind the Improvement Nerds Podcast is to invite guests onto our show and give them a platform to talk about the things that make them nerdy. And as they share their ideas, we want to explore the important question of how does that idea intersect with improvement? We're curious about multiple types of improvement, improvement of self, improvements made by teams, improvements made by organizations and communities of people. We even want to know improvement that's occurring at a larger scale, possibly with a societal impact. During each episode, we, along with our guests, will explore the topics that that person's passionate about. The things that, when they're doing them, make time pass without any effort. The things that seem more like play than they do work. The things that are possibly that person's true calling. As we explore the topics that make us and that guest nerdy, we'll explore the why behind that passion and understand the purpose that that idea is bringing to that person's life. We'll allow that person to teach us a little bit and share with us more information about that topic so that we can explore the idea for ourselves. Then we'll look at how that passion intersects with improvement. In other words, we want to know how that idea makes us better people, better friends, better employees, better leaders, better insert whatever role might fit. We're excited to have you join us on this journey as we and our guests nerd out. Hello, Improvement Nerds, and welcome to episode six. I'm excited to be sharing this episode with you. I'm talking to a great friend, Amanda Cross. Our conversation starts and begins focusing in on what it was like to work in technical writing. But as we continue our conversation, it quickly morphs from technical writing to more of becoming a learning organization. It was a lot of fun to create this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everyone, this is Tom, back with another episode of The Improvement Nerds. I've got a special guest with me today. It's someone I've known for quite a while. I don't want to do the math, but our NBA years are 10 years behind us now. (laughs) So, um, you know, meeting you during that point in time was just serendipitous. I think going through the, the, the program, you needed a great team of people to get through your NBA years. Yep. And we were, um heavily relying on each other for those three years and we made it so much fun like outside of (laughs) class you know we would get together we would hang out uh we got to know each other's families and stuff so um just excited to have you today i want to i want to introduce you quick at least with my my notes and then i want you to kind of follow up on the things i've missed so um so my guest today um she has got a technical writing background Um, She has worked extensively with organizations on developing a technical communication strategy. And for me, I've asked her to explain that to me. And here's how I've tried to understand it is it's the translation guide for the end users to understand the technology (laughs) that has been created. So she, in some ways, is that translation point between the technical team that's creating the the product or services and the end user. So it's a two-way communication street. So she's got an extensive background in doing that for organizations. Outside of that, because she has so much free time, she has supported the uh, creation of a handful of books as a ghostwriter. And uh, from the people who have worked with her, she's become highly recommended. Most of her work actually comes word of mouth because the excellent service that she gets. So she has um, always delivered amazing results and has a, has a result of that, she's in high demand. Um, but I think as you guys listen to her story, 
and learn what her background is that um, it may be someone that you want to follow up with. And as such, the best way to reach her is to visit her website, which is www.crosswiseconsulting.com. So very excited to introduce you all to Amanda Cross. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited to have you. So in that introduction, what did I miss? I, I know oh, I didn't no. talk much about your your previous podcasting experiences and your passion for baseball. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. Back in the day, I used to uh, run a Cincinnati Reds um, blog uh, that went from, oh, about 2005 to 2014. There was a lot of uh, terrible, terrible years of baseball in there. And the the finding the skills to enjoy a losing team was really um, eye-opening. Maybe that could be the topic of another one of your your podcasts. Yeah. How How to to, suffer together. How to, uh, how to find the joy in the losing. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, as I shared in that introduction, mm-hmm. you and I, we met through the right. MBA program, and at that point, um, you were working with an organization downtown, pretty pretty big, although maybe if people aren't from our market, they may not know what that organization is, but it's, it's morphed and, and grown, and it's created a lot of spinoffs, and it's actually been acquired a handful of times, and today it actually exists as a whole new mm-hmm. company, but tell That's us a true. little bit about... Uh, where you were working when I first met you back in our NBA Yeah, years. sure. Yeah, I was working at Exact Target at the time, which, yeah, in the Indianapolis area, boy, it's unusual when you introduce yourself as being from Exact Target and they and a person didn't know what that was. I remember being at a networking event one time and I said, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm the documentation manager at Exact Target. And they said, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. I was like gobsmacked for a moment, like, oh, oh, I, I haven't gotten to tell anyone about this company in so long. Everyone already knows. Um, but yeah, I started in an exact target, uh, which is an email marketing company for people who are outside the market and, and aren't um, aren't aware of it. Uh, it started, I'm thinking, sometime in the um, early 2000s, um, and it was creating software that was used by email marketers to send out things like um, uh, coupon codes and and uh, just the kinds of um, ads that you get from from companies. Not not spam stuff. Not. Um, uh, Nigerian print scams, but the kinds of authentic uh, emails that you actually sign up from for from you know uh, your favorite pet food store or your favorite uh, uh, restaurants to send you rewards club information and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So, as we got close to the end of our MBA career, some things started to change for you, and, and that was a result for the changes that were happening to Exact Target. So, mm-hmm. in that transition, you stepped out on your own and you created. Crosswise Consulting, but what was that catalytic event? What was going on with Exact Target yeah. that gave you that runway? Time. We finished our MBA, I think, in 2011. And yeah, I think I left in 2012, so it was yeah, pretty it was close. Right right on the heels. Yeah, we. Um, so the uh, I started in at the company when it was about 250 employees, which is pretty small. It was in the multiple thousands by the time that I left. Um you know, I'd always thought that I would go out and start my own company. It was something I'd always wanted to do. But earlier on in my career, I was—I uh, felt like I didn't—I didn't know enough of my field to be able to really offer anything to to a, a contracting in a contracting situation or to a client. And so I, you know, I went and I, I worked some, and then you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I really know what I'm doing now, uh, but um, but. Who would I? Uh, or I don't really know how to run a business, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting the MBA, and and then I was like, okay, well, I've got the business knowledge, you know. Do I? Who would I go to for um, 
for for jobs. You know, who, how do I find work in this arena? And then that was about the time that that um, Exact Target was being acquired by Salesforce. And so when Salesforce acquired Exact Target. Um, it created a, a large number of millionaires in the Indianapolis area, mm-hmm. uh, people I had been working with for five years. And they, um, you know, a lot of people left and they, they went and started their own companies. And once their, their software got to a, a place where they realized that they wanted to have some, some professional uh, technical user assistance, um, they said, well, who do I know who can do that? Oh, I know. Amanda. And so mm-hmm. they called me up and, and I'd go to work for their company for a while and we'd get some things in place. And then, uh, you know, sometimes they would grow to the point that they would want to bring on somebody full time or maybe they would uh, decide to change software. You know, the, the people in the technical in the um, in the contracting world, you kind of drift into and out of people's lives. But mm-hmm. I can, I'm happy to say that I've only had good experiences with my clients. I haven't haven't had to take anyone to court. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't, good... had, haven't had any arguments about anything. It's been a, a very, um, and gosh, it's been uh, eight years coming up next month. Yeah, eight years. Yeah, and I think just growing up in this field and seeing all the changes mm-hmm. and all the mergers and acquisitions that were occurring, mm-hmm. um, that helped to develop a busy savviness. So you were very strong technically, and had the credentials that would that could say I. I know how to author i know how to create documents that will facilitate good understanding of your products and services mm-hmm. and helping increase end user acceptance and adoption so you have that side and then as the organization grew a lot you grew with it so you eventually if i remember correctly you moved into leadership mm-hmm. uh, and you had a team of people working for you while it, that was like maybe the within that first year of our mba like yeah. you were on this tremendous growth curve. So I remember watching those things happen for you. And then suddenly after we had graduated, I saw an announcement that you were going out on your own. And (laughs) I was like, well, and that's just her continued growth is she grew up and blossomed in this organization. She created very meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. and she has a tribe of people that are going to support her as she goes out on her own. And it sounds like, you know, that family that you had created while you were exec exact target those same people became your first clients and that relationship just continued to to occur yeah i would say that's true there was a lot of things you know boy i feel like um we're going uh, down memory uh, lane aren't we yeah because i'm thinking about things i want to talk about like the thing ideas that you're bringing up it's kind of taking me into uh, a realm that i think we want to get into further down in, in this discussion so uh, is this a good time for me to 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 kind of introduce the the the, the, the nerding the nerdy topic? Yes, let's yes, let's okay. let's dive into that. So no, I'll set it up. Introduced. What, yes, we're you're <laughs> officially introduced, and uh, maybe in the podcast notes I'll have some translation of some of the things you said. Okay. Uh, because the, you do speak a different language, and that's yeah. what's beautiful about you is you have that ability to translate the technical world into everyday language Uh and even with that there's some acronyms you'll probably use and there's even stories you'll tell where yeah thank you for that definitely call me out on things like that because that is actually supposed to be my job i need yeah i need a red button like you used it (laughs) so you used an acronym hit the buzzer so, all right, let's let's get okay. that question out on the table. So, Amanda Cross, what nerds you out? Well, I think the the topic that I want to nerd out about on today, I have many many nerdy topics. Th- that's uh, tr- <laughs> true for most nerds; is they have they oftentimes have a hard time narrowing it in to that nerdy. one thing. 
But the, the thing I want to talk about today is, um, is I'm calling it living content. And living content is, a, you know, you could call it process thinking, or you could call it agile methodology, or you could call it um, uh, scrum, or you could call it a lot of different things. Those There's a are, lot of different things. Those are all very nerdy things. Rel- they're very nerdy. They're, and they're all related to each other. And I think that by talking about the, uh, the living content is kind of the application of the same idea to one little thing. One little thing, and that's content. And when I talk about content, I'm talking about written words. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's going to be your website content. Maybe it is your knowledge-based content. Maybe it is related to user manuals. Um, but most of my work has been done in the software arena. So I've worked for software companies uh, really since I um Left my left college, you know, when I when mm-hmm. I first graduated with my undergraduate. So it's been twenty years now of working with software companies, and so um, when I'm talking about content, I'm I'm specifically talking about written word about software mm-hmm. uh, that that is used by software companies to either internally or externally to help their customers yes. um, stay aware of what's going I, on. And I think that's a an amazing resource and should be seen as an asset for an organization. So. Uh, I'm going to just follow up on this concept of the knowledge base. So um, I was in healthcare and, you know, as we started to adopt technology and try to become more current with how we were administering our processes or performing HR or managing our supply chain, technology came into our environment and the end user in some situations would have a hard time performing the functions of that that tool Mm -hmm. so the first thing they would do is to call the help desk and i didn't realize that this is how all help desk kind of function is on that intake they are asking discovery type questions that will lead them to a knowledge article which is oftentimes written by someone like you who helps then uh, translate and guide the conversation between what's the problem the end user's having and you, technical expert on the other side of the phone at the help desk, here's the questions you need to ask and the potential remedies that you can bring forward to help this person have a resol- resolution. And most help desks wants to be able to resolve that issue in one touch. So first call resolution. So you, some of the work you've done, those that content being created is a great asset because if the technology is not working for that end user, and they're calling in and they're trying to get resolution and they can't, now that operator is on hold or in in a holding pattern or they're waiting. And if your internal operator is delayed, your customer is getting delayed. So that these tools that you create, that's the value in them is that it enables people to do their work when they're yeah. trying to perform their work through a technological interface. Right. So what you've described is is kind of the gold standard, right? It's what people are That's dream world. So it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it, it's, what everyone, it's what everyone wants to do, but it isn't what everyone's doing. Um, so let me take you back. So like I said, I started in this field in 2000. So this is back, back in the day before um, digital was even really a thing everyone did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my first jobs, we, um, the company actually, the technical communication team actually wrote books, actual user manuals, and they had an encyclopedia of, of um, knowledge, and I'm not kidding, it was, it was, I think, 15 books worth of information about how their product worked, and so, and here's, here's how things used to go in mm-hmm. these days. Um, your software team, you know, your developers and their product managers would, would 
the product managers would come up with a list of new features that they wanted. What, what do clients want? What, what do mm-hmm. customers want to be able to do with our software? So they'd come up with that. They'd, they'd take their, their software developers in a room, and they would design out what it's going to do, and the software developers would be tapping away, and they'd, they'd, they'd create um, software that did what, what the product wanted it to do, what product management wanted it to do. And then, um, when it was done, they would send it through uh, QA. And if the company was particularly efficient, mm-hmm. at the same time they were giving it to QA to work on testing it, you know, quality mm-hmm. assurance to test it, make sure it was not breaking things and was doing things the way it was supposed to, they would also send it to documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, quite possibly, though, it would go all the way through QA before it went to documentation mm-hmm. because this was a very uh, serial kind of process. This, this step, then this step, then this step, then this, this, this step. Uh, then documentation would be would they might get some meetings they might get some demos with software developers they could probably ask questions to mm-hmm. the developers though by that time the developer was probably working on something else so they might not remember that wasn't top of mind they they probably were annoyed by your questions uh, and they they but mostly what they would do is they would get a copy of the software and they would figure it out and they would you know just kind of figure out based on what they expected it to do. And a, a big part of being in technical communication is kind of intuiting what mm-hmm. software does. Mm-hmm. And then being able to ask the dumb questions. And that's, um, I'll come back to that. Uh, so being able to intuit the, 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 what the software does and write it down in a way that people are going to be able to understand. Uh, it's very easy to do a software documentation where you look through at each screen of the software and say, this is on this menu and this, mm-hmm. these are the options that you'll find. And this is what this button is and this is what this window does. But really what you want to be able to do is what a person's coming in and what do they want to accomplish? Yeah. Here's how to create a resume you know so here, like use specific use cases yes that's process oriented documentation mm-hmm. so um you can imagine with a situation like this where you're, you're kind of just thrown over the wall a piece of software is just thrown over the wall and you catch it and you just kind of sit there by yourself in the dark mm-hmm. uh with a piece of software and it's your um your naivete with it is part of the benefit mm-hmm. because you, the user is naive too. You know, the user is going to be naive, and that you need to be asking the same questions that they're going to be asking, and being writing down those those answers. But it makes for a documentation team that's very insular, mm-hmm. and it's very territorial. And when you create books, the book, the software to create books, especially then, even now though, uh, is there's a high learning curve. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult for people who aren't b- book writers to to make sense of it. There's a lot of editing marks that you see. There's a lot of uh, unintuitive kinds of behaviors with the, the software that you use to format books. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was a lot of territorialness. Don't touch the documentation. It's mine only. If you need something, tell me, and I I will go in and do it. Mm-hmm. Made this kind of walled garden around the documentation. So your your team in some ways was siloed. So very much siloed and also very much disrespected. Um, mm. The documentation in software companies notoriously is, um, how do you feel about swears? Um, I think we could do a handful of them. Let's give you a quota. Otherwise, <laughs> a you maximum. Make, yeah, you can do six. The documentation team is completely shit on. Yes. <laughs> so the, I've, I've heard that it roll, rolls downhill, that, that <laughs> substance rolls downhill in your, in your, world of technology oftentimes the sales team the product managers and the producers which are the the people who code and write software are those who uh, may have higher levels of authority Mm -hmm. because they're oftentimes revenue producing and i think this is probably still true today because i know a handful of people who work within the technology industry that the 
the support services on the backside of that technology oftentimes are underappreciated and underfunded. Mm -hmm. So that was true in your career. And I think in some, some cases it's still true today that so much focus is on creation and not enough focus is on service and follow right. up thereafter. And Tom, think about how that makes you feel as the person at the I, bottom of that chain. I cringe right? just a little bit. Right, because and it causes this uh, animosity between teams, you know, because uh, the the developers who are probably the team that documentation interacts with the most mm-hmm. um, uh, are annoyed because you're asking them questions and you're asking them stupid questions by design right Right. and what you're trying to do is advocate for your customer you're trying to put yourself in the end user's shoes and think of the questions that they might ask but i could see that the developers might perceive that as you challenging Uh their their skill set yes okay and annoying them with questions that they think should be so obvious and and so you get this animosity between these this group of people that um, that's supposed to be answering your questions. You know, they're the experts, and uh, and so you sort of start to hate them back, right? Like it's hard not to. Uh, I think the MBA actually changed a lot about my mindset because I couldn't appreciate. Um, the benefit that sales was bringing to the table. It seems so obvious now. Of course, you can't have a business without sales. I mean, that's the, the first part that you have to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from my lowly position on, as, a, as a tech writer on the documentation team, it just looked to me like they were just uh, jerks, right? Just, and, just people and then that they were, were dumping on you and over-promising. Just didn't have any respect for you and didn't, didn't value your contribution. Yep. It's another problem. I mean, so you've got, you've got a kind of a perfect storm around technical communication. You've got uh, documentation writers who annoy you, who ask you stupid questions that seem to challenge your um, your uh, intelligence or your competence, and you've got people who are doing writing, and writing is something that everyone does in their job. Everybody mm-hmm. writes emails, everybody writes text messages, everybody writes everything at work, and uh, so they all think they can write, mm-hmm. and that is it is really hard, you know, to not um, to to make people understand the difference between typing. And writing. Yes. And for con- writing for your customer to yes. be able to interpret, understand, and act. Yes. Versus, and that I had an episode that I just recorded about communication. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that episode, the person had said that no, no successful change has ever occurred without effective communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many people think they're effective communicators. However, they aren't looking at their customers' preferred communication yep. methods or channels. And in the world we live in today, we are very diverse. And in most organizations, there's five generations that are within that workplace. And for one, sure. one communication to be sent through email and satisfy everyone's communications need is absurd. Those people who want to be effective communicators need to take your position of to first communicate well. I need to understand who I'm communicating to, Mm -hmm. not just what I want to communicate, but how it needs to be communicated. And don't just produce it and send it out, but to send it and look for the feedback that validates that it was understood by the person who received it. And oftentimes that circle's not completed. So and I think in most organizations, that's still very true, is that an idea was created by some someone somewhere within the organization, a team executed that idea, threw it over the fence to 
the organization with this expectation of it was such a ju- it was just such a great idea everyone's going to naturally act on it mm-hmm. that's not reality you need yeah. translators to help take the idea and convert it from maybe a technical explanation to a practical yeah. explanation okay so th- i'm totally nerding out right here with you <laughs> and i feel like i'm hanging okay um so th- how how did uh, this become a passion of yours like what events occurred within your career that mm-hmm. said like that's that one thing that I want to dig really deep on and, and I want to specialize on because of this yeah well the um, the the documentation world started to change and the the book publishing of, um, methodology you know it it just couldn't last at the same time that technology was coming up to allow us to communicate directly with users Uh, whether that's internal users, because a lot of the content that a documentation team writes is used internally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, you know, by by customer support, for example, that's a great example. Um, But also to to end users, um, as as technology was coming up to allow us to use those instead of printing books, which is a very time-consuming, very, very expensive process. Yes, I imagine it is. Yeah. Um, And at the same time... the the technology around creating software, the, the, phil- the philosophy around tra- creating software, let's say, was changing. Mm-hmm. So the idea of agile software development, where instead of um, create, you know, creating a monolithic piece of software and then sending it through the rest of the process, you have a living piece of software. And that's when we start to talk about software as a service. The difference, I don't even know, you might be too, too young to remember. Do you remember back when you used to go to an actual store and buy CDs of software and bring them home and install it on your computer? Yes. It used to be you bought, bought a license, right? You bought mm-hmm. an actual physical piece of media. I remember buying it. a floppy disk. Right. You had to, well, you, you remember more than I would have expected. <laughs> so you, you had to have make sure you had space on your machine and you had to have minimum requirements and bandwidth and things. Now, much of the software that you use, probably even most of it, uh, you go to a website and you mm-hmm. log into it. Yes. And so by logging into it, uh, there's benefits. There's benefits and there's drawbacks, right? There's benefits to the consumer and there's drawbacks to the consumer. Uh, there's a benefit in that you're always on the latest edition, right? You always have the latest and greatest mm-hmm. software because they can just keep deploying it. Um, the drawback is that uh, even though you bought it once, you might not have it forever. So if you don't keep paying your subscription fees, then then you'll lose access to that software. Mm-hmm. And uh, businesses love that. Uh, customers maybe somewhat less. Yes. <laughs> because it's, yeah. It, but the, the, the... Depends on how you look at it. The, that, that platform is cloud-based. So right. um, there are benefits for the end user mm-hmm. is that the, the updates are occurring. Right. And so whether it's a piece of software you use personally as an individual or as an enterprise solution, yep. you are able to transition the, the, the makeup of your organization um, in a way that everyone's value producing. So you're not having to in-house experts on technology a, B, but that same person doesn't understand C, so I need another person for C. So your technical team can be more adaptive and supportive of the end user because they have a, a, a group of people that are backing them up that are supporting these cloud-based mm. solutions. Yeah. So you know, I've seen some organizations, maybe an HR team, for example, mm-hmm. had a variety of people that were of a technical background supporting the HR tools. And in most organizations, the HR 
solutions are like a cross patch quilt where mm-hmm. it's like four or five different technologies, one that does payroll or one that does benefits or one that does time tracking. Right. So they're not integrated mm-hmm. and they're individual pieces of software. Therefore, there's oftentimes an individual who can only support that right. one solution. And now with software as a service is these these solutions are better integrated so they they exist now on one platform and that one platform is supported by an off-site group of experts that Mm -hmm. now you don't have to in-house yourself which will allow you to take your in-house people and apply them in different ways so true that that whole journey Mm -hmm. yes i know that the transition to apply and uh, implement these technologies can be cumbersome but the adaptiveness and the speed that you'll get as an organization oftentimes is worth it yes. and maximizing your resources is worth it as well. Plus, you probably don't have a choice because every software company worth its salt wants to go to a software as a service model. I mean, it's not only a lot less, a lot more cost effective, but it brings in um, recurring revenue, which is a lot, you know, a lot more stable, a lot, a lot better for your ultimate survival mm-hmm. as a business. But you can imagine the nonsense of trying to have a software as a service product that came with an encyclopedia of printed manuals. It's, it just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So around that time, we started having to uh, adapt within the field as well. And so this is, was a very, a very difficult, um, a painful transition for your t- documentation teams, which went from being um, a very insulated, very, very uh, high level of expertise on publishing software. Publishing software was no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. It was just, when, you know, you no longer needed it at all. And you really, a very interesting um, d- dynamic was that, um, interesting and, and sad for a lot of people is de- technical communication started being something that was outsourced substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tech, the professional society for people in my field uh, would um, used to, you know, in this time period, near the beginning of this time period, started publishing a lot of like how to avoid being outsourced. <laughs> India is the enemy because India was the, the big place to send your outsourcing to at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of, um, there was a lot of, uh, uh, us versus them against the outsourcers uh, and then all of a sudden a group of technical writers a big big group of technical writers in India wanted to make a chapter and suddenly they realized like oh now we're representing them as well this mm-hmm. isn't an us versus them there's only us mm-hmm. and it's true I mean it's exactly the, exactly the case so when I got the opportunity so at that company where they were making books I, I was actually very lucky because I wasn't one of the people creating books uh, I was they were very um very much on the, the forefront of this, and they were trying to implement an XML solution. And XML has been the basis of um, good modularized, structured authoring and for software companies. Modularized meaning uh, that instead of having a continuous book where you have to read from page 1 to page 150, mm-hmm. uh, there's little smaller pieces that can be put together in interesting ways. You take um, And each piece is self-contained. So mm-hmm. that's modularized. It could stand alone. Very, very similar concept is used in development, software development. Okay. And then um, structured, meaning that every piece of content is predictable. So I think that this is one of the another one of those kind of um, uh, things that people outside of technical writing might not understand. When you're writing something um, as a as a non-technical writer, you might want to study the subject matter and give it a very special treatment, and you say this is this part is the most important. I want to put it. I want to organize it like this. 
uh, when you get into technical writing, what you actually want to do is exactly the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. You want to have the first part tell you, uh, for example, your structure might be the first part is a definition that tells you what this feature is. The second sentence is a, is a sentence that tells you what the benefits of using it are. The third sentence is about when and where it's appropriate to use it. Uh, you might have a section in there about prerequisites, what you have to do first, what you have to already have in your system. Mm -hmm. You might have a section that's about how to. Each one of those might be modular or the whole document might be modular. It might, might stand on its own. Yep. Um, but whatever it is, it's consistent across all of your products. And having structure to your content feels scary at first. When you're used to writing like, Free a, like a writer, you know, yeah. like, a, like a fiction writer, the idea of structuring your content feels like a cage. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like a, a prison that you are you're stuck doing it exactly the same way. It or, feels really or like boring. cookbook. There's a re there, it, there's a recipe I have to follow. There's a formula mm -hmm. I have to apply, and I can see how, and not not just so just to take what you're saying from your technical world. There there are um, people within their work every day that have been valued for their ability to like innovate mm -hmm. and apply custom solutions. In, in some ways now organizations are realizing that that's not sustainable is that we can't have everyone doing it their own own way we right. have to standardize and when you're asked that that word standardize which is what you were saying in yep. some ways is we have a standardized <laughs> method for documenting now so when we're I when I work in improvement I ask people how do how could we standardize this I know that there's going right. to be resistance because you're asking people, to step into a format that they may perceive right. to be confining. But the reality is, is that if everyone did it that way, we're more able to analyze the impact and make right. better decisions about the best way. So if everyone does it the same way, then we're in a position where we can make a decision about what's the best way. Yes. And what you find, you do need innovators still. Yes. You need innovators and you need people who can take uh, and apply those innovations in a in an enterprise-wide kind of way so that you can gain the benefits from the things that work mm -hmm. uh, at scale. And that's maybe more the, the angle that I take on it. Um, the, uh, so, I, you know, I had the... I think maybe what I heard there is we need someone to develop and we need someone to deploy. And developing and deploying are two separate things. Sometimes, yeah. There are some people that just can't follow a standard, right? <laughs> there are some people who are brilliant and they are innovators by nature, and they just cannot cannot stand to use the same thing that has been being used for the last six months, and they've mm -hmm. got to get on to the next thing. And the, you, you want a few of those people. It's not to say that, that that's a bad thing, uh, but it doesn't scale. Mm -hmm. you know, in, does, order, yes. in order to make get the benefits from that at scale, you have to have somebody else who can come in and say, I see the value of, of what you've found here, you know, what you've put together. Now, here's how we get it out to everyone. Yes. And we take large-scale advantage of that. Yep, so that so, we're not having pockets of excellence in certain areas yeah. of an organization, but we're taking that idea and we're replicating it in like areas so that those customers that rely on that part of your organization are getting that value as well. Yeah. So that, you know, your, your customers aren't getting different experiences just because they happen to be... Um, interacting <laughs> with yeah, one of the right. innovators, but that innovation now is available to all customers because right. it's been deployed and it's being practiced right. at scale and it's someone behind the scenes translated it from the idea into everyday procedure or process that now all operators know how to perform. Right. 
Right, and one of the benefits of uh, XML as the technology that we um, use for technical communication is that is so very extensible. That's what X stands for in XML. It's extensible. Mm. It's very flexible. You know, you can change it to do a lot of different things. So when those innovations come up and somebody has a better idea, the content is already ready because it's already in this um, uh, very digestible, very vanilla kind of wet form mm-hmm. that you can then plug into different different ways of looking or different ways of, of transmitting, different ways of consuming. Um, so when uh, then I went to Exact Target, and they're a software as a service company. Mm-hmm. Um, we started one of, one of those innovators that just couldn't keep his hands off the, the latest thing. Got this idea to uh, start a wiki, and he wanted to create a wiki for inside the company where he, as a product manager, could just dump out all the information he knew about the product because it was you know he he was the the person who was creating requirements. He was the one who was helping to design the product Mm -hmm. so that people would stop asking him so many questions. He was spending far too much of his time answering people's questions. He wanted to be able to send them to a place and have them look at it. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that became quickly a source for me as writing user guides. And then it didn't take very long before I said, you know, why am I copying this out of this wiki and pasting it into a Word document to create a PDF? Why don't we just publish the wiki? Yeah. And and that was, it's a very important... um, philosophy change, right? Because when you create a PDF, you create a Word document, a PDF, you have a moment when it's published. You say, you know, I've worked on this, so this is a version, I put a version number on it, and I put it on the website, and it's yep. done. It's, and, and it's very static. It's very static at that point. It's dead. It's dead content. It's okay. also really risky, because once you have a dead PDF floating around, um, one person finds it, they save it to their desktop, they email it to someone else. A new version has come out in the meantime. So you can't, you They're can't still track. holding on to the old one. Yeah. Another person has downloaded a different version of it. These things can conflict with each other. And it's a big problem in companies when you have conflicting messages going out to users. I And and I, what you're saying is like totally hitting home with some of the challenges I've seen within the organizations yep. I'm supporting. And one of the things that you're saying here is that you can change the process and create assets that communicate what that new process is. But if you don't know where the assets that trained on the old way, if you don't know where those things are, you're at risk of someone finding them and applying them. And it really becomes a challenge in a workforce in which you are hiring and retiring a lot. So specifically taking and looking at nursing the nursing workforce is going through a shift. Many of the baby boomers and those people who um, have been doing it for years are entering into retirement, and they're being replaced with a new generational workforce. So organizations to continue to deliver high-quality care, so most of my backgrounds in healthcare, mm-hmm. are bringing in new nurses, and they're orienting them. And sometimes in that orientation, unknowingly, they're using these old documents that are right. expired and they're teaching them on the old process and as yep. a result of that the organizations are sliding back a little bit so what you're yep. talking about is this idea of living content is a way to potentially eliminate that gap yep. and reduce the risk of people training on or applying an expired document to deliver a service right. and you want them to be well equipped to always know what is the the, the current way of doing it which oftentimes is also the, the current best way we know how to do it. Right. And if people aren't, you know, supported in that way, they're just going to, they're very resourceful they, in their work. They want to do good work and they're going to figure it out. Yep. We want to help them figure it out in a way that's turnkey so that they're doing it 
right. the way that it ought to be done. So right. what you're talking about here doesn't just live in the worlds of technology. I, I see it lives in healthcare. It lives in manufacturing or any work environment where right. the processes you deploy are growing and maturing and changing to get better and better and better See, if you I, want to do that. That's what I was hoping for. I was hoping that this little examination of something very specific would apply yes, to Yes, and to I hope that the scale. people listening in are like, holy smokes, <laughs> we do that. We need to adopt this mindset of living content. But the thing is, Tommy, it's really emotional. It's surprisingly emotional. You wouldn't think, it doesn't sound like it when I talk about it, but when you're coming from a world where at the end of the day, you had a, an encyclopedia, a set of encyclopedias on your shelves, and you could point to it and said, I did that. It's, you know, it's finite. Count. It's finite. And we we have completed the production of that book. And you'd it, go have a party, and you know, you'd know you celebrate, and it, and you'd get your name mentioned at the, the company meeting or something. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a moment of, uh, of accomplishment. And that, it, was a, it was very stressful for me and for everyone. When we went to this wiki methodology, it's not only stressful uh, because you don't have that sense of accomplishment, because all of your documents are out there living all the time. Yes. Uh, not only that, we would we open them up to be available for anyone to edit. Not customers, mm-hmm. but anyone internally could go in and edit. We had a we used so you, technology. You relinquished ownership of it as well. So you've changed what success looks like. So in your in your paradigm shift, success was producing a tangible asset that existed in the form of a big binder, and that was project is done. Well, and remember that there was that uh, there was that high learning curve. Mm-hmm. And that, that high territorialness that was like, if you need something changed, tell me and I'll do it. We mm-hmm. didn't give up ownership of it. We gave up control of it. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a pro, um, at Exact Target, we had a, a technology-driven publishing process where internally there was a version that was the draft version that anyone in the company was welcome to go into. Now, surprisingly, most people did not want to go into and edit themselves. They would just tell us. Yeah. But, but you know, there was a lot of fear around that when people say, well, what if somebody just goes in and messes everything right, up? Right, right. Well, but that why community, would they do that? Yeah. Nobody, nobody they, why would they do, do something that. detrimental to... Plus, the technology has, has has version history, so then we would just roll it back. You know, it wouldn't be a big yeah. deal. Isn't uh, it funny how we oftentimes perceive risk to be bigger than it actually oh, is? Oh, so much. People think that there's going to be so much risk involved in the idea of, a, um, of collaborative authoring, is what this is called. Collaborative authoring. And so, uh, you know, you'd put together a draft. You could send it directly off to a person who's an expert. Say, read it. If you want to, you can just open it up and make changes. Mm -hmm. And then um, because of the technology, I can go and see what changes you made. I can fix them up for writing things, you know, for the things that have to do with uh, grammar and punctuation. That's copy editing or writing things like, you know, you've written it in a way people won't understand. I can can fix that Mm -hmm. stuff up. And then we would go through a publishing process to make it available. There was never a time when it was done. And there was never, there was a... You lost a metric, right? There was a metric as a, as a writer that you could say, in this quarter, I wrote you know 550 pages worth of content. Mm-hmm. You lose that when you might, maybe you edited the same document six times. At the end of it, maybe yeah. it's shorter than it was when you started. You know, maybe you ended up, maybe you ended up retiring documents and, mm-hmm. and, and your work was actually um, to make things smaller. Part of the irony of technical communication is that you're always trying to, to put yourself out of a job. Yes. Uh, you want to make software uh, and user experiences that are so easy and intuitive that people don't need to go and learn as much about That's it. such an amazing mindset to, to highlight here. So where you are, and I've recently read the book, um, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've read it, but mm-hmm. it, it read it, it's saying some of the same things you have said. Sure. So in his book, 
he talks about there's a finite game and an infinite game. And in, in a finite game, the goal is to achieve an objective, which oftentimes is short term, mm-hmm. and has you do that. So short term was create a manual, produce it, it's done. Mm-hmm. That's a, a metric we can uh, increment and say we've achieved our goal. Right. However, in an infinite game, the goal is to perpetuate this game and allow it to get better and better and better and to position it so that it can be continued and um, inviting to the point where other people can participate and that this the goal is to keep the game going. So in some ways, what you're talking about is in your career, you're... Your team, your technical writers went from playing finite games to this infinite game is that we want to do this so well and make it so readily available that um, it is turnkey to the point where technical writers aren't necessarily owning it, but um, overseeing it to make sure that it's integral and that it's of good integrity but that it's ongoing and it's always getting better so that the customers who depend on these things are better served instead of I'm going to dig my heels and I want to be the only person that can do this stuff. And if you did that, all those customers who depended on all this information would have got less and less and less, but because you gave up ground and created an environment where everyone can get involved. Now you're giving customers more and more and more. Yes. And the feedback, the feedback from customers, the constant uh, incorporation of feedback from internal and external customers is a really relevant part of this. Uh, you know, back in the days of the books, you'd print the book and it would have come with a comment card in the back that a person could rip out along the perforation and write, scribble something down on it, send it into you. And, and I, I don't know if this is natural to everyone, but it, it deserves expressing. You didn't want to know. You never, mm-hmm. you didn't want to know. A person, um, uh, you, you put it out there and it was sort of like, uh, I don't want to know what you think of it. Yes. But we had to really absorb, we had to really change that. You have to really in, internalize the um, desire to find out what people think of what you're creating because mm-hmm. it's a cycle. It's you, you can only make it better if you know what's wrong. And I, I, I would, um, I would uh, compare it to like a person telling you that your zipper was open. <laughs> it's yes. like, you don't want to know. You didn't want to hear that information. But isn't it better to know? You want to yes. know. Yes. So that you can, uh, so you can fix it, and you, you can remedy the situation. <laughs> and with so with with the wiki, you know, not only were we able to uh, do collaborative authoring and, and keep keep high standards on the content. But we also made it highly personal. We put a picture of the author at the bottom of everyone with inc- and inviting feedback. And we would get a lot of feedback. We mm-hmm. would get a lot of feedback. Uh, you know, and in- as, as the document matured, it wouldn't be about the technical accuracy of the document. People might ask for help for support requests. And we could forward them to support. We could start working tightly with support. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could take that information and then uh, feed it back into product management who could return, um, who could incorporate it into the creation of the product. Yes. Because like, oh, you know, somebody found this confusing. And we know that because it came through our feedback form, and now we can cycle that into that. And we've became very tight. We started working very tightly mm-hmm. with um, with customer support and helping, making sure that every single question that they had in their knowledge base was reflected in our wiki so that they could always link to the wiki. Yes. And, and we'd worked tightly with product management. We worked tightly with development. We worked tightly with QA. We worked tightly with security. We started integrating ourselves and being a service to everyone in the company. So even though we were technically still a cost center, mm-hmm. however, at one point uh, we were working on um, creating a self-upgrade, like the ability to self-service upgrades mm-hmm. through the documentation. And I was like, am I going to get 
get a bonus when people uh, sign up for more money because they, they read about the documentation. They read about a feature in the documentation. They said, I want that. Yep. Auto provision it for me. I'm like, I was the salesperson, right? I'm the right. one who wrote the document. Uh, but we know, but uh, they just laughed at me when I said that. Yes. Uh, but it, so not only, um, but we were able to get really, really tight. And just think of what a difference that was from the beginning when we were I'm a sure walled was, garden, right? Yeah. We were a territorial. We were trying to keep everyone out. And the irony of this, all that walled garden, all of that um, stubborn insistence that we're important, stubborn insistence that we are um, essential to the product, going the opposite way is what kept us from being outsourced. Yeah. Yep. Being connected to the company is what made it difficult to take away our function mm-hmm. and being tightly integrated and being transparent, opening up the tools and saying, you can do it. Go ahead. Go in there. We would love for you to go in there and make changes. Go. We will work with you on this. Don't worry. Customers won't see it until we've, until we've, we've left it over. Right. Go for it. Yep. And in so doing, the opposite of what was intuitive to us at first, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. right, which was to say, like, no, no, we're the experts in this. No one else can touch it. Right. Uh, is what in fact made it so in some ways the your story if i can try to uh, translate it so one of the big pushes we're seeing now is big data (laughs) and you have business analysts architects highly trained technical experts that are helping organizations to take data and convert it into information and information into action however in some scenarios that team is young and maturing and doesn't quite understand the value of what you just said is that if we could make this accessible to the appropriate parties and be their support and their encourager that we will create this environment where people have access to the tools they need to do their jobs well and as they try to do their jobs, if they learn something, they're going to tell us and we can capture that learning and we can share that learning and disseminate it in a way that informs how we sell or how we serve. So yeah. this, the, you created a, a system of learning and getting better. And yeah. that's most organizations have failed to achieve that, which is to become a learning organization. Right. And I think right now, the next evolution of what you were talking about could be around this idea of big data and making it accessible to the operators Mm -hmm. so that they can actually apply it and they don't have to send an email and ask for this report and get this report and not know what it says and have to write that same person and ask for a translation. So, you know, one of the questions I ask in these podcasts is how does this passion of yours intersect with improvement and just hearing all of your examples, I'm pulling away things like this could apply to big data. This can apply to training and orienting new workforce members to make sure that that person coming into your organization has the most current resources to do their job. And in orienting them, they're invited to give feedback on the efficacy of that document so that that document can then be improved to help the next person who gets oriented in the wake of that one person and this creates succession so it's this i think this organizational rhythm that can occur by um sharing information and ever evolving your information to get better and better and better 
and to have someone, a gatekeeper, to actually facilitate that to happen. So yeah. that was some of the, that's where my mind went with your right. stories. But I want to ask that question of you: yeah. what what other examples or other ideas do you have how living content and collaborative authoring mm-hmm. can be used to improve? Yeah. Well, the um, prog- progression for me was gradual, of course, right? I started off in with a foot in the uh, analog world and ended up in this digital place. But what really put a, a point on it for me was when I went off on my own and I started working with other clients and, and realizing um, that there's, they are still coming into it with this project mindset, with this uh, finite mindset, yeah. right? We're going to get a website out. We want to. Our project is a website. We're going to get a website published. Then the website is published. Mm-hmm. But it's not right. I mean, that's not how the uh, living document works. And a website does need to be a living document. Mm-hmm. So how um, the the job isn't done when you have. You know, you've, you've drafted your content and you've created your design and you've created a publication schedule and you've got reviews in place and, and, you're, and there's some drop-dead date when you hit, hit the button and it, it's live. But that's not when the job is done because the job is never done. Mm-hmm. This, this is an infinite project like, you, like you're talking about. Um, and so you have to change your mindset about it. It's intimidating because it already feels like a big job. Mm-hmm. Like writing the content and doing the design and implementing all that already feels like a big job. And now you're telling me I have to then also plan processes for how it's going to stay fresh, how it's going to stay alive forever. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. I mean, and, and the benefit of things like XML and structured structured writing is that it simplifies the actual creation of the content and it makes things more predictable in that way. Predictability in business is excellent. You know, you've got some disruptors, you've got some new products, but for the most part, you want things to be predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be careful where unpredictability is applied. Uh, so then having those tools to make things more predictable frees you up then to think about the processes that are going to keep those things alive. And in my world, hooking into existing processes that are always working, already working, I mean, mm-hmm. is... Um, is a very key way to go about it. So when I go into a client and they say, okay, well, we want you to create a user manual. Okay, I can create a user manual, but once that manual is published, it immediately starts dying, right? right? We have to have a a process to keep this alive. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to keep it alive? What's your process around development? Can we, can we, you're probably using some sort of tool. Maybe you're using Jira. You're using some sort of ticketing tool to say this change is coming into the product. Can we hook into that process to say once something is released, then I get a notification about it and then I know to go and update the document about Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's a very, it can be very simple, but just the mindset of knowing to look for processes that are already working in your business. Creating a new process is always risky because it's hard for people to get used to them. But looking for ones that are already working and then just hooking into them technologically if you can, because computers mm-hmm. never forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can, if you can ha- make, a, make an automated notification in your ticketing system that says, as soon as this ticket goes to the production status, send an email to Amanda, then you know it's going to automatically happen. And I'm yeah. going to get it, and I know that, that it's really important. So I go in and read about it. I ask questions. I update the documentation. Yeah. And then we have something that's already working. I think that is in some organizations being called a high reliability organization, an HRO. It is knowing your processes and uh, equipping your operators to perform those processes 
and expecting that if they are following that process, you're going to get a reliable mm-hmm. outcome. And aside, so you use the word predictability, and that is a good thing for cust- for, for organizations to try to achieve. I think those are the predictable and reliable are in some ways the same exact thing. It, it's <laughs> right. I, I go and I interact with a organization and I have a certain expectation and the more... Uh, able that organization is to meet that expectation creates loyalty and Mm -hmm. so as I when if I travel and I go a certain place I have an expectation that that place is going to be just like the other place in Indiana Mm -hmm. because their processes should be the same so for most organizations their processes are a great asset to give that predictable outcome or that reliable outcome and what you're saying is um yes, let's let's create that environment where reliability is occurring and it becomes easier to give those reliable results over and over and over again. And the effort and energy needed to give those results becomes less and less and less. So then we're getting extra organizational capacity because the operators now have easier processes. Right. And as they perform those processes, the results are more reliable. Therefore, they're not doing so much rework or service recovery or feeling frustration to resolve any burden they have time back in their day and that time Mm -hmm. back in that day is what an organization can use to um, charter new territory or grow their business or innovate or volunteer in your local community there's so many great things an organization can do by working smarter instead of harder and in the story you just shared what you're saying is the only way to work smarter is to facilitate information sharing in your organization to get better and better and better and to not have someone keep that information under lock and key and put walls around it and protect and defend it but to to create a um, accessible channel to that information where people can use it apply it and provide feedback on it so this Everything you were saying just spoke to my inner nerd, too. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, it's a surprisingly emotional change, I think. And, and that's, you know, you're already there, right? You've already I've, taken this risks. You're, yes. you're already there. But some of your listeners might be out there hearing um, more processes. Can... No, I'm not interested in more processes. That's boring. You know, that's not innovation. Uh, or that sounds risky. Mm-hmm. Or it sounds like it's going to just fill my day with, uh, with, with boring drudgery. It's not really the case. These um, these kinds of processes, uh, they feel risky at first. They feel different. Yeah. Uh, but they they do. They free up your time. They they take things off of your off of your plate. Mm-hmm. And you know my um, the, that first uh, that first uh, you know company I was talking about that I worked for that, that created the paper manuals. And they're very strict about um, about their writer to developer ratio. They were like well, like well that's the industry standard says we have to have one writer for every twelve developers, and they would just demand and be a real pain in the neck to to, to stay it, within that to budget to make sure that they kept yep. their um, their ratio up. But you know, when I worked at Exact Target, then we were able we were a lean team of five, mm-hmm. and we were keeping up with hundreds of developers, and mm-hmm. we were taking on additional tasks. By the end, uh, we were doing um, we were contributing to the design of the UI. Mm-hmm. We were reviewing the UI, and we were contributing to that. So, and you know, that became basically like 75% of our job. So mm-hmm. a tiny lean team in just a quarter of their time was keeping up with hundreds of developers thanks to this sort of thing, thanks to these processes, thanks to this repeatability, predictability, and constant feedback, the constant improvement mm-hmm. that we were doing. And it was, it was, it was a mindset 
um, that felt it feels scary at first, but it's freeing. It's freeing when you get there. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think as you partner with organizations, oftentimes they're probably coming to you with a deliverable in mind. And I think with your expertise, you're helping them understand that we can't just be deliverables-based or project-oriented. We have to be of a certain mindset that these things all add up to each other and let me help you create that ecosystem within your organization where you can become better and better and better. Let's not just do this one thing and you know, wipe our hands and be like, okay, that was great. I had a lot of fun. I'll see you never. It's <laughs> now that we've done that, how do we continue this and implement a continuous improvement mindset right. where organizations go from being good to better to mm-hmm. better and better and better. So yeah. I, I think everything you're saying yeah. um, is appropriate to organizations in their journey but it's also appropriate to people in their own journey to realize that if you want more from your career, find ways to make yourself less important in it and give uh, your ideas freely and that will make you extremely valuable. Unintuitively enough, that's exactly the case. Great. So I love this conversation. And I know nice. in the kickoff I had left a, uh, or introduced a way to get, get a hold of you, but I still want to close with that, that if, if you're listening to this and everything, everything spoke to you or if you're curious about it and like, I don't quite understand it, but I think I need to be doing it. The best way to get a hold of Amanda is to find her through her website, which is www.crosswiseconsulting.com. Amanda, thank you so much for the conversation today. I've loved this conversation and I think our audience is going to respond positively. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much. It's been a really fun time. Great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into episode six. I had a lot of fun nerding out with Amanda across. I learned a ton uh, as our conversation started talking about technical writing. Had seen it quickly transitioned and focused on becoming a learning organization. Amanda is a role model for being a servant leader and acting in an open-minded way to which learning environments can begin to occur and that everyone in sharing the information that they have in their heads uh, does set the, the pace for an organization to get better and better and better and always learn and evolve. So I'm real glad that she agreed to be on the episode and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you.